Welcome to the Mama Needs a Moment podcast. We're your hosts, Chrissy and Cindy, co-founders of Her Health Collective. We are two moms obsessed with revolutionizing the way moms take care of themselves. We are so glad you're here. Let's dive in. Co-parenting can be incredibly challenging. We are excited to sit down with Mickey Gardner today to discuss the three A's of conscious co-parenting. When mastered, these three A's can completely alter how you navigate life after divorce or separation. Mickey Gardner is a certified life coach trained to help women sort out the overwhelm, confusion, fear, and self-doubt they feel after divorce. She is also certified in the conscious parenting method and applied positive psychology. Mickey focuses on helping moms move past their limiting beliefs, unravel the patterns of their past, and become strong, effective, loving parents. Today, you will hear part one of this interview in which we explore the messiness of divorce and how to navigate co-parenting relationships with grace and intention while creating peace and staying grounded. While the topic of this discussion is divorce and co-parenting, all of the themes can be applied in any of our relationships and are valuable to spend some time thinking about and unpacking. I know I walked away with a lot of aha moments. Be sure to check back in next week for part two of this important conversation where we dive into reprogramming our brain, not just to survive, but to thrive. Mickey, we're so excited to have you here. Uh, We were just saying before we hit the record button that this is a topic that we've not really touched on on the podcast yet. So we're really excited to have you as a guest. Before we dive into the questions and and really get into everything, we love to ask our expert guests to share who you are. Why do you do what you do? What are your current struggles as a mom? Just, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. And we feel like when we give you two minutes, you really hone in and and tell us what's important to you. So go ahead. Tell us about yourself. Okay. Well, I just have to first say thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here with you guys and to talk to your listeners because this is a topic that I don't think gets enough attention and airwaves. And it's something that so many people are struggling with. And I guess that's part of my story is I found myself divorced, had never intended to be in that position. Nobody in my family was divorced. I had no friends that were divorced. I was alone on an island or so I thought. I had to learn to walk the path. I had to learn to navigate all the complexities, all the things that happen after divorce and co-parenting. And it ended up being a true catalyst for transformation for me. Long story short, you know, I was an event planner in my last life. I was checking all the boxes, doing all the things, and it all came crashing down. And when it did, I had some choices to make. And hindsight being 2020, I'm so grateful for where I am today because I have learned how to navigate co-parenting with love and with respect and forgiveness. I'm now a certified life and conscious parenting coach. And I've put those two things together and I call myself a conscious co-parenting coach. And I love it because they're just, there are people out there talking about there is a way to navigate these ups and downs of life in a way that is respectful and kind and loving, even when not everybody is on board. And so I really just sort of made it my mission now to help walk alongside moms as they learn how to move past the drama and the pain of divorce. And they learn how to be calm, confident co-parents for themselves and their children. And so that's, 
I think who I am in a quick, I, I was really feeling the pressure of the two minutes there. So I hope I did it. <laughs> yes, you, you did. You did it up like you, you did great. Have two minutes. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Mickey. And you know, you said something, this isn't something I ever planned for or expected. Uh-huh. And it's so true. Nobody ever plans for or expects yeah. that when you choose your life partner and you get married and you never expect for it to end. And you certainly never expect for it to end with conflict. I feel like that will resonate with, with a lot of people. Yeah. Cause I think, you know, it's one of those topics we have many of them in our culture, but it's one of those that has a lot of shame attached to it. And a lot of secrecy. And like I said, I didn't know anyone and no one in my family was divorced, right? My parents, we just celebrated their 53rd wedding anniversary a couple of weeks ago. I definitely went off on a, on a tangent that I'd never expected, but it's, you know, we just don't talk about it. I think enough in a constructive, positive way. We see Hollywood paint it in so many different negative lights. I didn't know when I first started on this journey that there actually was sort of a, a, a path that wasn't what I saw in Hollywood or the stories that I heard about from my grandma and the broken homes and, you know, all of that. Mm. And so, it, yeah, I think it's a topic that we have to talk about and we have to just normalize a little bit because frankly, especially post-pandemic, it is at an all-time high divorce. And so it's something that people are navigating. And so- I'd rather we do it in a conscious and intentional way. All too often, you're really good friends with somebody and Mm -hmm. they have a partner and they just don't open up about the relationship with their significant other, whether that is out of just privacy, not knowing exactly what to share, or whether that is just feeling shame, like you had said, when Mm -hmm. things aren't picture perfect. So mm-hmm. uh, this conversation is really important. And I, as we get into the conversation, I would love to hear from you how you can get friends to talk more about if they're struggling in their relationships. So we'll, we'll get into all of that. But before we do, I want to take us into a fun question. Yay. So you have a choice. Pick a number between one and 160. I know. <laughs> How do you narrow it down? 81 popped in my head. So we're going 81. 81. Ooh. Okay. Okay. What is one story you love to tell, but rarely get the chance? Oh my goodness. It might take me to the two minute marker. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, What is a story that I love to tell that I rarely get the chance? Okay. This popped in my head. So I'm going for it. Love Um, it. I mentioned my past life and you know, it's something that really comes back to me constantly. That's really important. We moved a lot when I was a kid, my dad got a little too good at his job and we were transferring every time he fixed the plant that he got moved to. So we were, I was in three schools in third grade alone. So, um, it was a lot, right. We moved a lot and I was constantly the new kid. And then after third grade, I signed up for horseback riding lessons in a pamphlet that came home from the new school that I didn't know anyone at. And so I signed up and I ended up the only child in the entire County that signed up for horseback riding. So I got a summer of private lessons and I went hook, line and sinker, ended up with a pony, many, many ponies, uh, down the road. And I went to college with three horses and a trainer. We all moved together. I moved to California training for the Olympic trials. I did the junior Olympics and well, it's like equivalent to that. I got the bronze medal so close to the silver, but whatever. And then I moved to California training for the Olympic trials. 
And then my horse got sick. And at that point, you know, I was 21 years old and my whole life came crashing down. I had my quarter life crisis and ended up, I used to cook every night for all my roommates and I loved cooking. And so one night somebody said, I, when I said, oh, what am I going to do? They said, you know what? You cook every night. You seem happy when you do it and nobody's died. So maybe you should go to culinary school. <laughs> and I said, great. <laughs> So I signed up that night. We all got along. I had a gateway computer. We you all signed up that night. Out. You were like, this sounds oh, great. Yeah. I'm just going to sign up tonight. <laughs> Absolutely. So I signed up. I like, you know, put my application in, but a week later, you know, they saw somebody with a college degree and they're like, sure, come on. So I ended up going to San, moving to San Francisco from San Diego, <gasps> went to culinary school, gained about 30 pounds and had a whole lot of fun. Yum, and, yum. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And then I ended up moving back home to, uh, I live in Detroit and I started a catering company. And so I did that. And then eventually event planning. And I did that for 12 years, but I think th the story I don't get to tell is I grew up with animals being my best friends and I, you know, always have an animal, a dog or something. We need connection. And sometimes that connection is actually okay when it's through animals. Cause my best friend was my horse farmer, who was the love of, you know, one of the loves of my life. You know, he was with me from, I got him when I was 17 and he died nine months after my son was born. And so he was really with me through so much. And I think it's just a reminder that in this world, when we can get lost in connection, there's something to be said for finding connection, no matter how many legs they may or may not mm. have. <laughs> So, so beautiful. Oh my fair. God. That was yeah. my random story for the day. And there were so many jaw drops in there. <laughs> it's just I, like, all right, pick up my jaw. I love hearing the trajectory of people's lives, how yeah. one, one thing just morphs into another and something that you just never expected to happen changes the trajectory and you go in a completely different direction. And I just, I think that's so fascinating. And I love meeting people that have had almost seemingly many lives. And that's, yes. that's the vibe I get from you that you've tried a lot of different things. You've been a lot of places. You've had a lot of experiences. It makes for interesting dinner conversations. So <laughs> it, it does make for that. And I think it just, it just, connected the dots in my head, which I hadn't before is one of the things I talk with clients a lot about is that curiosity is one mm -hmm. of those things that we have to embrace for change to happen. That story that I just told, right. Was sort of like all about, okay, everything's crashed a little bit, you know, with my horse and what am I going to do now? And it was just this curiosity. And I think I've always had that a little bit of being willing to, okay, that sounds fun. Let's go that direction. That's often to having support and, you know, and that's what I want to be for my son is to allow him to be curious and explore and do things. But I also did that through my divorce and subsequent journey after that was just curiosity. And I think it's an underrated skill in life. Yeah. That's when you do make a new discovery because you're almost forced to get curious to, to yes. dig yourself out of that place. Well, on your website, I loved perusing your website. It was very fun. Oh, thank you. you shared that quote, not that long ago, you were a business owner, a mom of a toddler and married. And in what felt like an instant, it all fell apart. You go on to say that there were many nights that you could remember sitting alone in the dark, filled with fear and overwhelmed by life now that you were divorced. 
the shame you had felt for a failed marriage, the fear of being a single mom and the desperate desire to hide it all from the world. Mm -hmm. So you hid, you say you hid behind your work. You changed yourself physically to look quote unquote better. You hid behind a smile to prove that you were moving on and you crafted a life with your son to resemble the most Instagram worthy family just to prove that you were okay. And you then go on to say that this all left you feeling empty, exhausted, and less like yourself than ever, never seeming to live up to the expectations that you had set for yourself. It just felt like you were never going to be enough. Can you walk us through this period of your life? What, as you're, as you're going through all this, what lessons in hindsight can you take away from all of this that you learned in this challenging season of life? Yeah. Um, it's funny as you were, as you were reading that back to me, it was like the weight, I could just feel it pushing Mm -hmm. down on me. Um, because that is that time in my life was so, so heavy looking back. It was the greatest catalyst for change for me. You always have a choice, right? But it was either, I keep doing what I was trying to do, which was make everything perfect and check all the boxes and get everybody in line. But that had crumbled and I saw how that wasn't working. And so that's when I was sort of left to this, well, what's, what now, what do I do now? And I think in hindsight, the biggest lesson I had to learn was to slow down, to really allow myself the space to not know, to enter curiosity, to open up to what it was that I didn't know. You don't know what you don't know. Right. But for me, a lot of, a lot of my life was, well, if you don't know, you better figure it out. Right. Or at least act like, you know, what's going on. And that kind of mindset that I had, that perfectionist, that there was a lot of people pleasing in there. All of those things led me to putting up a wall that really separated me from the world. That is where I didn't reach out for support. I didn't even know support existed at that point. And so I really hid and did a lot of things that looking back, do I regret them? No, right? Because everything leads to where you are now. So I I try to have grace and forgiveness for myself during that time. But I also see how much pain I heaped onto myself additionally by shutting myself off and really not, not opening up and being more vulnerable, but that takes time. And I think Mm -hmm. that's why I really want to be there for women because so many moms come to me and they're like, Mickey, I don't understand it. I did the divorce. I did all the things because I was supposed to feel better afterwards. Why do I feel like such, you know what? And that's the part when you're maybe six months, a year, 18 months out. And you're like, what the heck, right? Why don't I feel better? Why is it all a mess? Why is it even worse now? And that's the point where, from which we start working. That's the part you have to kind of, you go through. The hardest thing I think about that time is that it was so filled with fear and shame and you're expected to really do a great job of parenting your children. Mm while you're in a very dark place. And I think if there is one regret I have, it is how much I let my depression and anxiety affect me during that time, because I transferred that to my child. I don't beat myself up about it. You know, I have to have a lot of compassion and grace for it and learn from that. 
but it's, that's one of the hardest things is that we're expected to take care of these little human beings in a time where we're really struggling. And that's why I'm so passionate now about saying like, there is help. There is something you can do for, if nothing else for your kids during that time, because oftentimes, you know, there, when I talk about the shame and sort of sitting alone, you feel like you are not enough. You feel mm-hmm. like you are, you made all the mistakes. I mean, there is so much quote unquote evidence of all the things that you or the other person has done wrong, that it's really easy to get trapped under it. And so it's something that you kind of have to dig yourself out of. And hindsight being 2020, I learned how the tools and the strategies and the skills that I needed to do it. And so now that's why I want to close that gap. So other women don't have to struggle maybe as much as I did. Uh, There's so much you said that was so powerful. Something that I immediately latched onto was your discussion of perfectionism and not feeling enough because I, I talk to a lot of moms and I know so many moms deal with that and struggle with that. Do you feel that you still struggle with that? Have you moved beyond that or it's still there, but you have tools and tricks that you, you pull out of your hat to contend with the feelings of not being enough and perfectionism? Well, I think the great news is, is that we all deal with it and we always will, right? If you boil every kind of issue. I was kind of hoping you would say that it's just, there's an answer and it's all solved. (laughs) Oh yeah. It's so great. Right? No, it's, it's not that easy. Right. And it's, there is essentially, and I don't want to get too far off on it. Right. We all have this because when we are separated from our truth, from our inner source, from, you know, whatever you call that God universe, giant pink pony in the sky, I don't care what you call it. To me, it's all the same thing. It's the energy from which we all come. When we separate from that, meaning we believe all of the lies or the cultural conditioning or the crap that other people heap onto us, we start to separate and believe that we are not enough, that we are somehow wrong or bad or whatever, insert the thing. And so for me, the way that I understand it, it is, it is a lifelong practice for all of us to learn how to come back to ourselves, to our inner wisdom to what we know to be true. I had to learn that I am enough as I am and that everyone else is too, right? It's not just me, Mm -hmm. it's every single human. And it was an interesting, that not enough, right? Because I think that's something you, I hear from almost every person I talk to and work with, right? Is that feeling of lack in some way. And Brene Brown, who I'm sure you guys know, and we're big fans, (laughs) huge, right? That was one of those nights when I was in that dark place, I was watching her Ted talk and in it, she, there's a slide and there is a woman with, I am enough written in Sharpie across her chest. And when that slide came up, I had a visceral reaction and started laughing, but like angry laughing. And I thought, how could anyone think that? Like, who is she to think that? And I got, I got mad. I'm all alone. (laughs) My kids upstairs sleeping and I'm mad. And that was when I realized, oh, okay. There's a nerve that just got like salt poured into it. And so that was my start of over a little bit of time. I woke up the next morning and it was more like, do people really think that? 
Like, is there a woman that really thinks she's enough? And if she does, what is she doing? Right. And so I started down this sort of curiosity journey of it. Um, I now have it tattooed on my wrist, which is I am enough in one of my good friends handwriting. And I put it there because I needed the reminder because I forget. And Mm. I remember a couple of years ago, I was in a place where I was really struggling again, because that is what happens in life, right? We have ups, we have downs, we struggle. And I was laying in yoga and I was so mad at myself for not doing quote unquote better than I was at this given moment. And I hit myself on the forehead and I was like, what are you missing? And I saw it and I was like, oh, back to the beginning, right? We go back and we start with that practice again, the healing journey that, that I take clients on and that I go on. So for me, it's just, no, it's not a one and done, but there are tools. There are ways to be able to bring yourself back so that you can navigate from a place of enoughness and, and truth. To our Patreon supporters. Thank you. We appreciate you so much. Our goal has always been for moms to know they're not alone in the tough and challenging phases of motherhood. We know Mama Needs a Moment provides this to our listeners. We are thrilled with the growth of the podcast over the past two years. Last year, Spotify shared that Mama Needs a Moment was in the top 30% most followed podcasts, was heard in nine countries, and had more content than 97% of other creators in the family category. We have recently launched a Patreon account for Mama Needs a Moment. This is a great way for you to provide additional support to Her Health Collective. We've set up three options for Patreon supporters, each with its very own perks, such as special events, discounts, and bonus content from each and every podcast guest that is available only to our Patreon supporters. Will you become a Patreon supporter? It would mean the world to us. Another thing that you mentioned that really stuck out to me was you mentioned the anxiety and the depression Mm -hmm. and the feeling that you had passed that on to to your Mm -hmm. child. That very much resonated with me. That is a big part of my childhood story. And as someone Mm -hmm. with anxiety as a parent, I, I feel that immensely. How, how did you navigate that? Do you feel that you've moved beyond that with your child? Is that still something that's a struggle? Well, I think, I mean, I'm sure that Chrissy, you can agree that it's not something that goes away, right? Mm -hmm. Anxiety and depression are actually wired into us as survival mechanisms. They are there to help quote unquote, help us. And now there are different levels of it. There are different degrees, depression in and of itself, just looking at depression when it's not, you know, again, there are like chemical and different things going on, on, but I'm talking about sort of an emotional state of depression Mm -hmm. is actually a way for our brain to send up a signal to the other people in our community, right? If we were cavemen, the other people that are living in the cave, if I'm depressed, I'm going to kind of shrink down. I'm going to go separate from the group. I'm going to go sit in the corner. I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to become nonverbal, right? I'm going to do all of these things as a way to get the attention of the other people to come help, right? When I learned this from, I, in positive psychology school, right? That it's really wired into us as a way for us to get the help that we need. It Mm -hmm. totally shifted what sort of had been going on because I had struggled with low-grade depression since I was a teenager. And so I now know that if I go through those states, 
right? It's really my body's way of saying like, we need help. We need support. What can we do to help us? Us being me and all the internal, all the internal voices. Is it gone? No. But do I look at things like anxiety or depression as they relate in my own life or my son's life differently? Yes. Because maybe they're not this life altering, like we can't, we have to fix them and make them go away. That's not going to happen. But can I learn how to navigate them? Can I get different tools and skills to help myself do that? Yes. And then when I can do that for me, then I can teach my son to do that for him. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's what's changed is learning how to be a leader and an example of it so that I can offer him that opportunity too. That's so powerful. And kids are so impressionable and and Mm -hmm. soak up so much of what is happening with their parents' emotions. So it is so important to have that awareness. I I hear you talking a lot about compassion for for yourself Mm -hmm. and others, and you haven't used the word necessarily, but you have so much awareness and everything you've said, you you have a lot of personal awareness. We just was wondering if you could share a timeline for this because like how long ago did your divorce happen and in the the process because i think what happens to people is it gets very daunting for them to think of mm-hmm. how much time it's going to take for them to feel better yeah <laughs> and so i think if we paint a realistic picture mm-hmm. of that it's day by day and how long and and whatnot might be helpful could you do that yeah Yeah, sure. I'm happy to. And all the things blend together a little bit for me, but we, I think we're divorced in 2015. And so it's been, you know, a good chunk of years and we were separated before that. It's been maybe eight to nine years for me, but I will say that there's an expectation that once the divorce happens, boom, right? Then we have this sort of blank slate, magic wand, everything's going to be different. And that is so much further from the truth. I mean, I think when we're just talking about all of those feelings, right? There are so many feelings leading up to the divorce. Then you make the decision, right? Now you have to navigate that decision. Then that gets final. Now you have to get used to a whole new set of things, right? So it's like this constant ups and downs. So there's no one trajectory. For me, I think it was a good year after the divorce. I floundered. I mean, it was that first year. It's a year of first. There are so many things to navigate. It's your first set of holidays. It's learning how to be alone without your child, which, you know, I have moms all the time asking me, when am I ever going to feel okay when my kids aren't there? I actually don't know that you ever feel okay with it or like it because you're biologically wired to love and care for your children. And you're being asked to not do that for a period of time. It just, it goes against all logic and all like wiring within us. So I think the question really is, how can I learn to navigate it and to support myself, right? So that I'm not falling apart each time. It's really learning how to reframe the questions and reframe what is life really going to look like and how do I want it to look and how do I want to support myself through that? So whatever that timeline looks like, I have one client I'm thinking of, I think she came to me, she had been divorced three years and it was still as conflict ridden as the day after the divorce. And, you know, she was at her wits end of, you know, I've given it three years of trying all the things. What do I do? 
We've been working together, I think about a year. We were just on a session yesterday, but she navigated a really difficult situation where he was being exactly who he has been for the last four years. And before that, you know, and she navigated it so beautifully. And it was just one of those moments where it doesn't, it's not a like year one, do this, year two, do this, but it's when you know you need the help, that's your time to reach out. Right. And then give yourself the space and grace because healing takes as long as healing takes. But I think we can make it harder on ourselves again, like I did hiding and running. But yeah, I think we've been about, it's been about eight years and he's remarried and uh, they have a little baby who's going to be three this summer. Uh, So my son who is going to be 13 in two weeks is learning how to have a toddler as as a half brother. And then we have two additional kids in my house too, that are my partners. As you just said, life after divorce can be messy and full Mm -hmm. of unknown factors, but it doesn't mean that your co-parenting relationship has to be a dark chapter in your life, which is what you were just talking about a bit. Mm -hmm. We know moms facing these circumstances would love to know how to navigate co-parenting relationships with grace and intention while creating peace and staying grounded. Because as you were just saying, I mean, I have a number of friends who are facing co-parenting situations Mm -hmm. and it is tumultuous at best. It's filled with a lot of anxiety and bickering and, and that all goes back to the kid that all reflects onto the child too. hundred percent. Can you share with us, you have a three-step formula that you work through with your, your clients. Can you share with us your three-step formula on how to create an intentional joy and ease filled life after divorce? Yeah. So the three steps of conscious co-parenting, as I call them, It's awareness, agency, and aligned action. What you just described was so perfect, right? Because oftentimes there's a lot of conflict. It's tumultuous, as you said. And what this does is if we are not aware to what is going on, we're actually just living in a reactive state. And people think when they think of someone who's reactive or overreactive, they think of maybe yelling or throwing things or super, super angry, right? Or totally just distraught, right? It's these big giant displays of emotion, but reactivity is the number one problem that I see, but it also can look at like giving in just to avoid the fight. It can look like saying yes, when you mean no, It can look like having very loose or no boundaries at all. These are all in reaction to what is happening. And so what the first step awareness does is help you become aware that you have been triggered or that you are in reaction so that you have the ability to take responsibility, as I call it. And when I say responsibility, I mean response hyphen ability, the ability to respond to your life instead of react. Because the vast majority of us are just reacting and, and we do, there's so many unconscious thoughts and things going on in the brain. That is how we live. So we actually have to learn how to become more aware so that we can choose what's happening next instead of just default living, right? That sort of being drug along. And then down the road, you're like, why did I just do that? How did I fall for this again? Right. Those patterns. So that's what awareness is, is really understanding, okay, I'm triggered. I'm having really big feelings or I'm in reaction and learning how to pause and calm your nervous system down. 
right? Because when we're triggered, our whole body has been flooded with stress hormones. And when our emotions are high, our intellect is very low, meaning our rational thinking. And so we've got to actually get it back up on board. And that's where the awareness comes in. And that's why I start with teaching all of my clients, just how do we realize when we are triggered, when we're feeling overwhelmed, when we're having like those big feelings and then stopping, pausing and taking some breaths so that we can calm our nervous system down so that we can go to step two, which is agency. Agency is really just choice, right? And we always have a choice. You might not like your choices. You might think you don't have any choices, but there is always a choice. And the universe has made it super easy for us, which is awesome. There's only three choices ever. So <laughs> you can accept something, meaning can I accept the situation the way that it is without changing anything and move forward without anger and resentment? If you can do that, amazing, right? Do that. The next one is change. Is there something, if we can't accept it, can we change it? Now, this means, can I do something to shift the situation that I want to do or agree with? This isn't changing another person, but it's, can you do something? Sometimes you can change. Sometimes you can't. And then that's when the third option is available, which is leave either figuratively or literally. The second step to conscious co-parenting is really learning. First, I'm aware of what's going on now. I have choice, that agency. What am I going to do from there? And then that leads into the third step. What is the aligned action to move me in the direction that I want to go versus that auto reaction, right? Where you're just sort of being led. So I'm taking aligned action towards what I want. And this is really that taking 100% responsibility over your 50% of the co-parenting relationship. And so those are the three steps, right? They are simple. They are profoundly difficult. <laughs> so, <Yes. laughs> um, you know, that's where, that's where the work is to learn how to do this and to, I mean, just the awareness, right? Because we can't change anything that we're not aware of. And so that's always step one. I mean, I'm in therapy working through a lot of these things right mm -hmm. now. So <laughs> yeah. that's really, really powerful. When you first went through your divorce, was it a contentious divorce, was it filled with bickering and fighting or did you already have these? And I know you would later go on through the coaching school and you would learn a lot of this. So I'm making the assumption that you learned this later. How was it for you in that first period? You know, I, I definitely have had therapy throughout my life. I don't know that it was, um, I didn't have these skills during that time. Mm -hmm. And were we high conflict no, I don't, in comparison to maybe people who are in more typical high conflict uh, divorces, no, because even back then, even when I was very hurt by everything that was happening, there was a little voice inside of me that said, like, we can figure out how to do this where it doesn't destroy us. And I remember that I, I made the decision driving back from my ex's restaurant where we, I think I was having a holiday party for my work at the time. And we had yet another fight that went from zero to 60 in like two seconds, right? Everything had been calm. And then we had this massive fight and I just thought, oh my gosh, <laughs> it just never ends. Right. And I was driving home and the voice, I just heard a voice and it said, is this what you want your son to see of you? 
And I pulled over on the side of the road and I just realized I am not being the mom, the wife, the human, the anything. Like, I don't want my son to grow up thinking this is what marriage looks like. I don't want him to grow up thinking this is what loving a woman looks like or vice versa. And I realized in that moment, this is my job. I'm the example. And I'm not happy with the example I'm setting. So I made us coffee the next morning and I said, let's call it. While we still have some sense of friendship or warm feelings towards one another, let's just call it a day and figure out how to do this so that we are our family. Um, because I, and I didn't know how to do that. There was no part of me that had any idea what I was signing up for, but I knew I couldn't keep doing what I was doing. Luckily for me and our son, he agreed, you know, he's like, let, you know, let's, let's figure this out. And so it was, it was very clunky. And, um, we just had a talk, I think it was a couple of weeks ago and he remembers this time completely different than me. Huh. <laughs> I'm like, I'm singing Kumbaya. And he thinks it was like contentious. I'm like, isn't this fascinating? He's like, oh, Mickey, here we go again. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm like, isn't it amazing how we see it differently? And he's like, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Could you just, <laughs> but it actually worked out that I think, because that's what we do as moms, right? We are the drivers. Typically there is usually one person who's a little bit more of the driver or the visionary or the risk taker or whatever. And for me, that was my role of, I really wanted a family for my son. And the one that I thought I had no longer existed. So I can fight that or I can figure it out. And so that I, we just went on a very clunky journey to figure out what that might look like now. I think we just have to be willing to sort of figure it out along the way. And that's where, you know, I really urge people, whatever support it is that you need, whatever is available, that's where we need to really step in because we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That support is essential. And I think that's so important for any parents dealing with this to, to keep in the back of their mind. Thank you for sharing your story. I think that's important for people to hear. Yeah. I really enjoyed today's conversation. Here are my top three takeaways from our time with Mickey. One, I love Mickey's analysis of curiosity. She discusses how embracing curiosity is the only way change can truly happen. If I look back over my life, I inherently know this to be true. It is only by opening ourselves up to questions, developing a lifelong love of learning, and continually coming back to our deepest core values that we can ultimately continue on our path to discovering our true self. To do all of that, we must aim to be constantly curious about who we are and how our path in the world is unfolding. Two, Mickey spends some time exploring perfectionism, which I know will resonate with so many of our listeners. She explains that she doesn't see perfectionism as something that we can fix or heal. It instead will be a lifelong process of checking in, reevaluating, and learning to let go. She explores the need to reframe the questions we ask ourselves, because at the end of the day, we all know we will always inevitably face difficulties. Rather than trying to muddle through and fight our way to a preconceived notion of how things should be, how we should be, we can instead ask ourselves, how can I best navigate this situation 
and support myself through the process. Three, reactivity is the number one issue Mickey sees. I know this is something I am constantly working to improve in my own life. Life and people can trigger us. And it's in those moments of reactivity that we know we found something. It hits a chord. We've found something that raises an old wound. Mickey explores the three A's of conscious co-parenting. Step one begins with awareness because it's only the issues we are aware of that we can work to change. Step two is agency. You have the power here. Are you going to accept the situation and find peace with it? Are you going to change the circumstances or how you interact with it? Because we always have to remember we can't change anyone else. Or are you going to leave the situation figuratively or literally? Those are the options. Finally, step three is aligned action. What steps will you take to get you there? Without a doubt, these three steps can be applied to any intentional change we are trying to make in our life. Be sure to check out next week's episode of Mama Needs a Moment, where we dive into part two of our conversation with Mickey and explore reprogramming our brain, not just to survive, but to thrive. High five, friend. We've enjoyed hanging out with you. Follow us to be the first to know when we drop a new episode. If you've enjoyed your time with us, let us know by leaving a review. We always love hearing from you. Until next time, stay true to you.